Welcome back to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast, Season 2, baby. This is your host, DBT Steph, and I'm so excited to continue sharing and uncovering the many layers of the physical therapy profession so that you can be the best clinician you want to be. tuning in to another episode of season two of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph. I'm so excited to have back one of our guests from season one, Matt Huey, physical therapist. And if you haven't caught up with our episode from the first season, definitely check it out. And today we're going to dive in a little bit more. But to remind everybody, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to get us started? So I'm Matt. been a physical therapist about 12 years now. I mean, speaking of about clinical director, I spent six years in the management side of it, so running clinics in several different states. I am a diplomat in MDT and a fellow of the AAOMPT, so I'm one of the rare people who don't have the DPT or the OCS, but have all those, so there's not many of us. It's a rare breed, but it's, you know, a specialty to have. It just makes you different than the rest of them, right? Yeah. So I got the fellowship right before they require the OCS. So all the people going through now have have to get it. So I I somehow hit that little gap. You made the cusp. That's awesome. Like I've heard the OCS is pretty stressful. So I feel like that's kind of maybe like a blessing in disguise to not have to deal with that. Although I don't know, maybe this other one's just as hard. I went through the McKinsey Institute and getting the fellowship, so it's a little bit different, but the people going through different organizations for it, it's pretty rough. There's the OSCE test, and it is a very detailed, comprehensive orthopedic exam, so I'm like, I'm glad I didn't do that. Just thinking about that hurts my head because me and orthopedics do not (laughs) mesh well at all, so I'll let you and everybody else handle that one. Let's kind of like look back for a second. So you mentioned you've been a PT for 12 years. Obviously, you were not a director the entire time. But what was your early career like when you started making that transition into that role? And then, you know, obviously involved a bunch of clinics. So did you get all the clinics at once? Did it start kind of, you know, growing? Kind of what was that whole thing like? So I worked for a local clinic group when I first started. The clinic I was in, it was actually very heavily workers' compensation. So that was our main patient demographic. So I got to see a lot of different. And then also very interesting was seeing that a lot of different perceptions that people would have about the recovery and rehab and their beliefs. So it was very, very interesting to have that as a background to start out with. And I said, it has to make you pretty tough to deal with with such a high percentage of workers' compensation. I'm not saying anything bad about patient. It's just a whole different thing into itself. So I hit about the two-year mark, and I said, I really feel like I could move up to be a director, move up to the next level. And lo and behold, the company I was with, the there's about five clinics. They were going to open a sixth one. So it came down to me and someone else to possibly be put into this role, they went with the other person because they had, I think, two more years of experience than I did. So I was kind of bummed. But then lo and behold, another company came in, contacted me, and they said, hey, you know, we got a director position. We want to interview for you for it. So interviewed, got the job, and it was with, uh, it's no longer around Physiotherapy Associates. So I probably won't mention the names of the other places I went, but I went there, and I was put over one 
clinic. And uh, it actually, it was pretty rough in the beginning because the area person was not very good. She wasn't very good in explaining what the goals were. And there were some misunderstanding on what the metrics were we were going to be measured upon. So things like revenue per visit, units per visit, you know, visits per patient. And early on, it was contradicting what she had told me in the interview. Crazy thing, she got let go. Another guy came in. And this guy was an amazing person with management. And he taught us all in the area. So there would, this company had about five or six clinics at the time and really just blew up the area. We were doing really, really well. And then at that point, I took on another clinic that maybe gave me another clinic to take over. So I was running two clinics at one time and then consulting with a third clinic uh, to help run all of those. And then... Stuff happened. I left that company and then went to another company where I only worked for about four months. And it was totally different uh, in their management style and what they wanted me to do. And again, there was some miscommunication and misunderstanding on what their goals were, what they were looking for versus what I felt what it was. And so I ended up leaving there. Now I'm just a staff therapist and um but I joke where I am now, I'm the only therapist, so I guess I'm the boss or whatever. And, but it's great. Everything that I've done before, it helps me um, run so independently. I mean, I can do everything from the front desk to understanding the billing, uh, helping patients with any of those questions. So just like anything. So it was like, Matt, you need help? I'm like, no, I got this. I don't need really <laughs> all that. What skills do you think helped you the most make that transition? Or like, what skills do you think like students or, you know, new grads should have if they're looking to make that like their growth goal? One thing I help is, is reading business books. So I use Audible. So picking up that on my way in and, and listening to everything from like sales, marketing, management, things like that. So you get a good idea of how to do that. Skills to have is you have to be very personable. So you you know, you don't have to be really liked by everyone, but you may have to make sure that you have to get along. You have to be fair. That's a big thing because I'm trying to be fair to you as a person, but I'm also trying to be fair to running this clinic. So you also got to be pretty flexible because when you're in management, you have to do everything. So I tell everybody, so if you're the boss, that means you do everything. So you never know. Somebody could pot sick. Okay, now I got to, you know, I got to run the front desk and I got to be back here. You know, this person just quit. Okay, now we, we've got to figure it out. We got to plan ahead. So you got to be pretty flexible and kind of go with the flow with a lot of things. If you're really like hard, like it has to be like this and this, you typically can sometimes have a hard time. I worked with a guy who was former military and he liked everything really rigid. And you're going to do this. And you're going to, I'm like, you can do that when you're commanding soldiers. You can't do that with patients or your staff because they'll leave. And so he had a big shock when he first took over a clinic that a lot of people left. I was like, you, you got to calm down. You got to go with the flow. You try to boss them around, they're, they're going to leave. They're not your grunts or whatever he called them <laughs> under you. Like, the real people. And they could probably teach you a lot too. So I feel like it's a position or a role that not only are you like modeling certain behavior for, you know, people who maybe are working under you, but you're also kind of 
hearing their feedback and have to be open to like other ideas and other ways of doing things that other people mm-hmm. may find more beneficial. So like open-minded, I feel like would be a huge one, but you it touches on flexible too. So it kind of goes hand in hand with what you said. Yes. You do have to be very open-minded. So you kind of get caught in this middle. So you have management that tells you to do stuff. And so, yes, I got to be open-minded what they tell me, but you're the one in that area that knows that area. So they could tell you, well, you need to do this. And it's like, that will not work. <laughs> and I tell people, it's not that you, you don't want to have that thing of like, oh, it's just not going to work. You know, try it. Like I had management come down and like, oh, you need to do this. And I said, that won't work. And they said, why? I'm like, because I tried it two years ago and it didn't work. Like, for example, um, I'll use this. A big thing with, is with language. You know, many of the things that you talk about is how we talk to patients and how patients are receive what we do. Well, this company I was with had a poster that they wanted everyone to put up in their clinic. It was the 10 commandments of physical therapy. You can find this online. They wanted everyone to have it. And lo and behold, my first clinic, I actually had it. I found it on like a piece of paper and I had it up just like stuck on a table. And it was funny. Nobody ever looked at it. But this thing was like, a like two foot by three foot poster with pretty big letters on it <laughs> and like number four or something on that it was like don't complain because we're not going to listen <sighs> and I said I'm not putting this up and so I did not have it in my main clinic I did not have it up and then one of the other clinics it was in the front and well, lo and behold a patient told me one day just talking with her she wasn't getting better and she said yeah because I saw that thing up there said don't complain because we're not going to listen immediately out there and ripped it down and threw it away. And somebody from management came in and goes, you didn't put that sign up. I said, because that sign is BS. And they said, well, we don't think so-and-so would have put so much effort into our marketing. I said, no, you can type that into Google and you can find it in 20 seconds. (laughs) That is not something that they did. And I was like, you don't understand what patients are going through. So you, you do... That is, again, from management coming down with that. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing if your staff, your staff may tell you, oh, we need to do this. And you have to be open-minded to understand. But at the same time, you may have to go, that may or may not work. Or it's like, that's a great idea. We're going to do that. So you do have to balance. You give and take. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But did you feel being only a few years out or a few years of a clinician at that point, did you feel prepared for the role and responsibilities that you were transitioning into? I thought I did, but good gracious, I wasn't. <laughs> you're, you're never really ready. Now, granted, if in, let's say, a past life, your past career, you were in management, especially like a customer service type, yeah, you're, you're probably going to be a little bit more ready for it because therapy is customer service. Once I got into it, I found out quickly, I was like, oh my gosh, this is not what I thought. This is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I feel like that's with like your career or like, you know, physical therapy in general, like students coming out and they're like, you know, maybe they do feel confident. Maybe they do feel prepared. And then they have their first week of work and they're like, oh crud, that was way harder than I thought it was going to be. Or it means, Mm -hmm. you know, it could be the opposite too. But I think that's just, I don't know if there's ever a time where you're going to be like a hundred percent prepared for anything really. So you just have to kind of jump in and figure it out as you go ultimately like when you do it like have a base idea mm-hmm. and if, if you're going into somewhere and you have somebody ahead of you management or what or you know another boss 
is spend the time with that person and kind of, you know, granted, you probably won't get to see everything, but you can at least see how they interact with people and, and do things. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, okay, I can, I can follow along with that. Yeah, absolutely. What would a day in the life look like for you when you were in that position and then even like managing a couple of clinics? I know it's a hard question because <laughs> it probably varies. Oh, okay, so typically, I mean, I'd always be the first one there. So I'd be getting there, dropping the kids off at school, getting there about 7.30 or so. I'm seeing the first patient at 8. And during that time, it would come in. We At the time, we were still getting faxes. So let me check the fax. Do we get any new referrals? Do we have signed progress? You know, okay, let me let me lay those out for here. You know, check it. Do we get any emails, voicemails? You know, we didn't change up the schedule at all. So getting that there. At the time, we did. We still had charts. So printing the schedule off, pulling all the charts out for everybody to have those ready to go for your patients. So just getting that ready for the first person that comes in. So whenever they're there, they come on back. If it's, you know, if it's a new one during the day, try to grab that chart. Okay, what are they going to come in for? I didn't dig too much in it, but, you know, just kind of read whatever got sent over. And then once the patient's there, read their past medical history, just to, to dig in. Usually it was just a whirlwind. So just during the day, just people are coming in, getting them back treated, doing notes whenever I have a chance. And then, you know, anything that comes up during the day, a patient is not happy. Case manager calls and wants an update. Uh, a physician wants to call and yell at somebody. So it's that's you know the one that you have to come through. You may get information from management. Okay, this is a new policy that we got going forward. Please review it. You know, prepare for your next staff meeting. So kind of doing that. Also periodically during the month, you check in. Do you have any compliance stuff that you have to keep up with? So anything from doing any kind of drills. Do we have to go over any kind of procedure? making sure that we have all of that, you know, do we have an audit coming up? Do we have this or that? So making sure that's all good to go during the day. And then typically, I mean, after the last patient, I'd leave out of there probably six o'clock at night. It was always a, a pretty long day and then just getting ready for the next. So that's what it is day in and day out. And then also as well, marketing. So trying to figure out a day and time to go market the clinic. So who am I going to hit this week and where am I going to go? And what am I going to take them? So all of that just kind of shoved in a day. <laughs> now, obviously like in school, I mean, I know it varies by program. My program was a little bit of a business class that we had at the end of our third year, but I would say most schools probably don't have any business related courses, let alone about like how a clinic is run. So what would be helpful for students or new grads to know or learn about when in those positions like obviously insurance I feel like is a huge one aside from like clinical skills if there's anything else knowing how to read your profit and loss statement so understanding the money flow of the clinic and one thing I would do with every student that came in uh, I would print off the month's profit and losses statement. And we would sit down and go over that. So just to show them, this is how much money we build. This is actually how much money they paid us because we deduct so much. And I always felt that in school, we just think like you come in, you treat the patient and you write these things up and you set it off and this money just magically appears. But to show like we build out, for example, we'll say a hundred thousand dollars 
it's like, yes, that's what we build. But we only got in like 35,000. And they're like, where's that money? I was like, that money doesn't exist. That was just a number. That, that, that wasn't real. And then going down, so okay, now this is your fixed cost. So your, your rent, any kind of utilities or anything. Here's your labor cost. And, you know, this is your, we always want to keep labor under 50%. So that was, that's always typically the largest cost of anywhere. Any other expenses, bad debt expenses. So any of that. So trying to understand and you break it down and you get to the end of this thing and you may find out that your clinic only had like $500 profit for the month. And so how to be able to understand that and to read that, it was a big thing. So also understanding and we would go over how to bill. And that some insurances would pay a flat fee. And so you just pay you know, $75. Do they pay per unit? How do they follow on the unit? So not everyone does the eight-minute rule. Some did a 15-minute rule. And then that was fun when you had to talk to them on the phone. Are you always doing the eight-minute rule? I was like, well, you're not following that because, well, that's what we learned in school. Well, that's, that's what you learn in school, but that's not what's happening on here. Or if there was one, this is fairly uncommon. It's a, a lump sum. So they'll say, oh, you've got an ACL you know, reconstruction, we'll give you $2,000. So if you get them better in two treatments, you made $1,000 per treatment. If you got them better in 100 treatments, that's about 20 bucks. So understanding that different things build different amounts. And so understanding like, okay, you're seeing, like there was one, I'll use this example, one clinic that was in our area would always hit their budgeted visit number always hit it, but they never made their budgeted monetary value. It was because they were seeing this flat fee uh, payer that paid $65 a visit. And another clinic could see fewer people, but they were taking in a lot of workers' compensation, which paid a higher rate. And they were always blowing theirs out of the water. And it was, they're like, I don't understand. We're seeing all these people. It's like, yes, you may be seeing all these people building all these units, but it doesn't matter. You can build a hundred units they're only going to pay you that flat fee. So teaching them to understand the money aspect of it. And then also the expenses. You know, you can't buy new supplies every month. You can't buy that, you know, Alter G treadmill. You know, you can't buy those, you know, all that stuff. It's like, yeah, that stuff is cool, but <laughs> how often are you going to use it? And, and then, of course, with insurances, um, you have some great cool device that's you know, you go to CSM, you see this thing, and then lo and behold, you find out later, like, insurance either doesn't cover it or they paid very, very low. And mm -hmm. it's like, I'd have to grab people off the street to do it to make <laughs> any money. So it's like those things are great, but you got to think of the, the cash flow because you mm -hmm. got to keep your lights on. You, you want to keep your staff, you know, employed. You want to make sure that everyone is getting paid well. So you have to be conscious of those things. Right. And then kind of switching gears into, I call it like insurance for dummies, because again, something we don't learn in school. And like, I'm trying to continue to learn, even though I'm not really in the outpatient world. I think the whole insurance-based system is just beyond intriguing, I'll say nicely. Mm -hmm. How do you think people can learn more about that if, whether they're in like the outpatient setting or not? Because I feel like no one talks about it. Like, even when I did my outpatient clinical, like, we build quote unquote build for our services, but I didn't understand like how patient A's insurance was different from patient B's insurance and so forth. Yeah. So one thing that this 
really good boss that I had is that he taught us to break down what each insurance pays for whatever. So if it's a flat fee, we only had a small handful that were a flat fee. So we knew, you know, this worker's comp pays $93. We know this one pays $65. We know this one pays $75. So we knew that. Then something like Medicare, we would just pull an old chart and look at what we billed and what they paid. So we would see if there was a manual on there, it paid X number of dollars, their X, X number of dollars. And so have an idea of each one of them. And granted, the amount that's paid if you work for a company is determined by the contract rate that whatever that company negotiated with that insurance company. So it may vary place to place. But understanding what you bill, because you typically end up billing about three times what you're actually paid. And so understanding what you're getting from each one. And so... Then at the end of the day, based upon whoever we saw, we would have an idea about this, about how much we made. And really, like, if you try to talk to the insurance companies, they're just going to give you like the big runaround. They don't really care. It was just actually pulling the claims and looking at the claims and finding out, okay, Blue Cross Blue Shields pays this, you know, Cigna pays this, Aetna pays this. So having these ideas of these different ones. And then if little abnormalities popped up, there was always the big thing that Blue Cross Blue Shield never paid neuromuscular re-education. And so you would test it every once in a while. Let's build one and see what happens. And so we would kind of write that down. And then when the claims came back, hey, they paid it. Okay, cool. Also, it, this was very important. That if you have whomever, like your receptionist, whomever does the billing, that they're kind of diving into it and being an active part of understanding it because there's things with, there was one insurance that would not pay for both manual therapy and therapeutic activity. And when we called them, they said, well, they're the same thing. It's like, no, they're not. Oh my God. <laughs> so they said therapeutic activity and manual therapy are the same thing. So we knew we could not build those together with, with that insurance. So it was just, Okay, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, we got, we got this one. You know, remember, we can't bill for their activity because they won't pay it. But just so I it feel like just... it's so trippy in a way, and it shouldn't be that you have to, like, think about your treatment based off of what you're going to get billed. Because obviously, like, if we could all do pro bono services and not care about the money, that would be mm -hmm. great. But, like, realistically speaking, that's not how it works because we all need to fund our lives. <laughs> So you have to like almost base your treatment based off of the re reimbursement, which is kind of like a catch 22 because it should be based off of your like skills and clinical judgment. That makes my head hurt. <laughs> well, it was, and it would be crazy. And this would, um, a CI taught me years ago. He, and he had been a therapist for many years before I was, but he said, he goes, oh yeah, they used to pay a lot more for TheraX than their activity. So he goes, what did everyone do? Well, they started billing more TheraX. He goes, so the insurance companies see that, and they're like, okay, we're going to start paying more for their activity because they're not paying as much. So what does everyone do? They start billing the other ones. So they typically will follow whatever is paying the most. So and that is the unfortunate thing, and even like workers' comp sometimes becomes the biggest headache because they really, really get controlling on what you can and can't do. So if I've had people that – really needed kind of a structure, you know, manual therapy, you know, stretching, like a really kind of a structured program. And they're like, no, you can only do work conditioning. 
So that means no manual on this person. So it takes a lot. So now we're having to do like functional lifting. And this person is shooting pain down the line. It's like, this is not what they need, but you're making me do that. And now I can't really accurately document. And now I can't actually build. And they don't care. They just don't care whatsoever. And then isn't it true that, I mean, if I'm wrong, so say someone, person A has Blue Cross Blue Shield, person B also has Blue Cross Blue Shield. They could have different plans as well, too. So you can get different reimbursements based off the plans that they have. Yes. So Blue Cross Blue Shield has over 50 different plans. So every right. like most companies, plus federal. Yeah. yeah, plus federal. So there was actually one that you always kind of have to keep an eye out for these little offshoots of one. It was a Medicaid. It was strange. And if you look at the card, there's like, oh, there's a star that's like on the left hand at bottom. It's something just weird on the card. Everything else looks the same as everything else. But this one was strange because the insurance company would only cover physical therapy if the clinic was attached to a hospital, physically attached to a hospital. Kept a photocopy of what that card looked like on the wall. And we would keep those just off ones like listed, like, oh yeah, that's this one. And we would know like, okay, we can't see them. They have to go here or no, no, no. We have to get this approved before we do this. So, so you can have all those different ones. And then there's a crazy thing with one company. They were super conservative. You have to be careful with group because group pays you like nothing. It's an untimed unit. It pays you like $16. So if you have a person there for an hour, so we get two Medicare's that come in at eight o'clock and we're working with them together because they're working together. That has to be group charge. That's $16 for both. For one hour, you only make $32. But this company was so conservative. If anybody had a federal payer, you had to bill group. So it doesn't matter if you had, oh, we have Blue Cross Blue Shield federal. Because it's a federal payer, you need to build group if they're being seen with another person. Oh, the workers comp is through the government. So a postal worker, you have to build group because you saw them with another person. I'm like, oh my gosh. See, like this, I feel like is not only so ridiculously frustrating on the healthcare employee side or the business side, but it's also incredibly frustrating to the patient or the consumer because I don't fully understand my insurance. Most patients don't understand their own mm-hmm. insurance because you have deductibles, co-pays, and deductibles are determined differently based off the plan that you have. And it's it's constant hoops to jump through. And I'm like, this just hurts my head. And no wonder that everyone, I feel like is just being scammed by the system. <laughs> just, it makes me so beyond infuriated. I had this happen one time. So copay, copay is what is on your card that you have to pay it on the card. And unfortunately, physical therapy is considered a specialist. So they charge the specialty rates. Now, I think they're working on trying to get that for primary care so we can reduce the rates. But it had like a $20 copay. And this person just flipped out because well, I go to my primary. Why I don't pay nothing? Why do I got to pay $20? They called their insurance company. We're like calling to talk to them. The rep goes, Oh, that's too much. I'm like, Wait a minute. That is on your card. That is not us charging that. Your card says collect $20 as a copay. And then a, a crazy thing with like deductibles is that those systems are not updated like real time. So if a person has ACL reconstruction, so 
well, today's Tuesday. This person had her ACL reconstruction on Friday. They're coming to see you today. And they haven't been to the doctor. That was their first doctor's anything. Well, they may have to pay part toward their deductible. But they're like, well, I just had this $20,000 surgery. It should be my, it's like, it's not in the system yet. And we would have to go off of whatever the system told us. Because the hospitals would not bill their claims. Usually they do this big dump. And mm -hmm. so it's like maybe like every two weeks, dump all their claims, boom, and they get hit. So this person may be coming. So this is very early in the month. This person may be coming for two or three weeks and paying a portion because that's what the insurance company is saying we need to collect. And we'd have to tell them, it's like, look, it's going towards your deductible. If it's too much, we'll issue you a refund. Mm. And it's, oh my gosh, it, we would try not to tell them that because then they're like, where's my refund? Where's my refund? It's like, lo and behold, it would take like two, three months to yeah. process this thing. It was just ridiculous <sighs> on getting that. And even with insurance, it's the same thing. It was often a guess. We're guessing what, what you have to pay. Blue Cross was bad about this. We would have to guess. We don't really know, like your, your tagline, it depends. What are we going to do? Well, it depends. So we can't give you an accurate what you're going to have to pay because it may be more, it may be less. We, we don't know because so much depends upon when you actually get in here. And so it was confusing for us, confusing patients. And then whenever they call the insurance company, it would depend. Someone said desk to desk. So depending what desk that you called, they had an answer. One person may have an answer. Next person doesn't have a clue because you know, they may only been there three days. So they don't really know anything. And I love it too, when people have deductibles on top of like monthly fees just to have the insurance and then like co-pays on top of that. So like you're paying all of this stuff and you might not even have services yet. Oh God, it just deep breaths, deep breaths. <laughs> <laughs> so I was talking recently on Instagram a lot about new grad season. Everyone's like, how do I know what I'm going to get paid or how do I know I'm getting paid what I'm worth as a new grad or, and avoid the whole lowballing situation. Obviously it's prevalent in every setting, but the most talked about setting is typically outpatient. Looking back over the past 12 years and then your time as a director of several clinics, what would you say is kind of like the holding power that students can use when they're trying to negotiate and it's like an insurance-based clinic that they're, you know, kind of back and forth fighting with? I mean, of course, looking at whatever the average is in the area. I always tell everyone this, that an employer's job is not to make you rich. An employer wants to give you the least amount of money for the most amount of work. And then the worker wants the most amount of money for the least amount of work. And once you find that intersection, that's when everything hunky-dory. But I mean, I tell, I think, and I kind of sound like a dinosaur when I sound this compared to seeing other people say this stuff. But I tell people, like, you find your job, you don't have to fully commit to stay with this company forever. I tell people, no, it's like, hey, go in to a company, you, know, you need to start working. But use it to figure out what you like. I know my first job, I did not like it. It was, again, very heavily workers' compensation. And I, I learned I really don't like working with this population because patients were great. I mean, I'm, many, many patients we helped. They're so thankful they go back to work. But sometimes you would have those occasional people that 
wanted to milk the system. Also, the system getting very angry at that, being like, you were yelling at this person to come to therapy. Now I'm having to get up the rear end of the adjuster to go, they need approve their therapy to come back. They have sitting on their butt for two weeks because you won't approve more therapy. But going in and figuring out what you like, seeing, okay, I like working with this population. Eh, maybe not this much. But also learning all the jobs in the clinic. And that's what I really took as, as a manager is that I learned what the front desk did. I, from everything from sketching a patient, if they called, I could put them on the schedule, check their insurance. So it can handle any of that. Even trying to understand other jobs that were a little bit outside of really what I did. And then that just made me more valuable to the next one. So now I went to the next company and I said, well, I know how to do this and this and this and this and this. And I can tell you about how much Medicare, you, okay, they're going to, if they only have Medicare as the primary, they're going to have to pay at least a $20 copay toward this. And they're going to do this. And then explain that and they're going, oh, wow, like they're much more independent. And then that helps as well if you want to go off on your own. And again, it's like you could train whoever it is to be upfront or realize that insurance companies, again, are not your friend <laughs> and to let people know, okay, yeah, this is why I don't take insurance because of X, Y, Z, but this is a way that you know how to get around them and just kind of take as much from the company as you can. And I did that with a couple of them and I torched those bridges. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, but, yeah, um, I agree though. Like definitely you want to take as much as you can because I agree with that. And I would just like put a period there and not even like try to hypothesize further, like what that actually yeah. means, because I think just yeah. those words in itself, like hold yeah. so much value and it's so true. And I like that you also had mentioned, you know, like it's okay to leave a job. Like you you might not like your first job and it's, that's okay. And I don't know, I think about this often. And I, I remember when I posted that I left my job in the fall and it was my first job and I was receiving messages and people were like going into crisis mode. And I was like, guys, I'm just, I'm just changing jobs. Like it's, why is that such a, a huge issue or like a huge like shock to people? And I'm like, it's normal to change jobs, to leave jobs. You're, you're moving around, you know, life happens, whether it's work related or not. And I think, you know, especially when you're this early in your career, that's when you need to make moves because you're still learning a lot. You want to keep absorbing and, you know, growing both in and outside of the setting. So I, I like that you mentioned that because I think uh, yeah. that gets lost a lot. That's the thing. You make more money sometimes taking a lateral move. You, you can take a much more significant increase in pay. Also, I'll let people know there's a big debate about we need you know, people in management, all that. I'm like, it's more work. It's way more work. It's way more responsibility. You're going to be working longer hours. You may only get a slight increase in pay. I, I think you have to look at it from does. like a job satisfaction lens. Yeah. And a lot of people are so caught up in the pay. Than anything else. And a thing to warn people about if a company's like, oh, you become management and you get these bonuses, bonuses are taxed at a higher rate. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize that. So if they're like, we could do profit sharing, or when you become management, you get a bonus of whatever the clinic makes, your tax rate on that bonus is higher. So say that you worked really hard for the quarter, hey, you get this thousand dollar bonus. Okay, they're going to take, you know, $300 of that. So $700 out of 
see 90 days. So you pretty much got less than like a $10 a day. Especially too, when they're tied to performance or productivity things that are quarterly goals that like your clinic maybe had a bad quarter. And then you were, you know, banking on that to maybe, you know, up your income for that time period. And now you're like, oh crap, the clinic didn't do well. Now I don't have that. So like, it looks good on paper, but realistically speaking, is it as good as it sounds? And I would say it kind of hurts me in the job market now. So when I was looking a few years ago, after I had left the other company and I was just looking, applied for the staff position because I was kind of like tired of management and getting stressed and all that stuff and not being home. And one company just said, you're overqualified for it. And I said, why? And they said, well, we see you have management experience. We feel like if you saw another management job, you would leave. So that was kind of a a ding to warn as well. They say like, oh, you've been in management. You may Mm. jump ship at any point. And, but my thing is, well, that kind of shows that you're a crappy place to work because you don't want to try to keep your employee, keep your employee happy. They're going to stay there. Mm -hmm. That's very true. I know, you know, on Facebook, on social media, we see a lot of people that are advocating for better starting salaries for new grads or you know commenting on really crappy ones that are out there but then you see a lot of like owners or managers or directors chime in and they're like I don't know where you people think you can get these numbers from like you know we're making crap and we have all these expenses as to run a clinic which I think most people acknowledge maybe they don't acknowledge necessarily how much it costs but they acknowledge it to some extent what would your like thought or response be to someone who is kind of like saying that to new grads and kind of like dimming that light on the aspirational new grad. That is something interesting when I, I do see that it's like, we're doctors or should be paid like doctors. I'm like, if a hospital could pay a physician $20,000, they would pay them $20,000. The only reason they pay a physician that much money is because they won't get for less than X number, whatever they're going to pay. They're, they're just not going to get. So I kind of look at it again, when you run clinics, you're not making a whole lot of money. Despite what everyone thinks, you're in healthcare, you're, you know, you're making all these big, you're stealing my insurance money, you know, take about Medicare money. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I was like, Medicare is a bunch of thugs, okay? They will come bust your kneecaps and take back that $14 that they paid me for that group therapy charge. Facts. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the big thing now is additional sources of income. There's a lot of people out there that you can go into doing other things. And if, if you are like staff or part-time, it's like, hey, you can have your own thing on the side. You know, one thing that we do as therapists, and I think it's a great, great opportunity for, for many of us going forward, is getting and trying to treat more of the whole patient. So somebody's coming to me with shoulder pain, but maybe this person is significantly overweight and not sleeping well and not eating well can we treat these other things? So maybe having something on the side where I can generate additional revenue for myself. And again, if you run it as a small business, you get a lot of tax breaks and things like that. So you can run into that. It also protects you like with COVID clinic shut down. And I think that shocked a lot. Of, so if it's like, well, I still have my thing on the side, I can go to that. Or if you're going to switch jobs, okay. If you don't want to get away from the clinic side, I'm going to, I'm going to do this to having those other things to do. And I tell people as well, it's, it is hard, again, to 
try to get all that money. But, you know, if you just want to stay working, but there's no problem in that, being willing to move. Hey, I'm going to take a lateral move over here. I'm going to move up over here. I may have to relocate. I've relocated twice. And every time I've relocated, it upped my salary. Mm -hmm. And so that just kind of puts me in a different position. So just being open and willing to say, like, this is what I'm worth. And unfortunately, the clinics and things have that ability to say, this is what we're going to pay because that's all the money they have. But kind of the whole thing, again, being willing to move laterally or relocate, things like that. And then just working on other things of generating revenue as well and it, and it doesn't really even have to be something grand and spectacular it's taking all your time i mean stuff like you do you know hey, i sell shirts or i do you know i do coaching or I do something mm-hmm. that's bringing in an additional hundred dollars a month perfect cool right yeah i think about this too if, if you were to do it all over again like have the offenses location anything possible issue is out of the picture if you had to do it all over again and create your own clinic would you, I feel like I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Would you do an insurance-based model or would you choose to do like out-of-network or cash pay? It would probably have to be a little bit of both. Just talking to people, it's very funny. People are very angry at insurance companies, but at the same time, they don't want to get away from them. So it, it's this thing of like, oh, my insurance company raising the rates and they don't cover anything. It's like, okay, well, you want to go out of network? No, I can't do that. It's, so it's kind of hard with that. If I could go on it again, looking at a model where it's like, if you come in for a, a condition or problem, you know, maybe we are going through your insurance initially, but we want to get you to a point where you're coming in for just your overall health. And then that is a reasonable cash expense and that's what i feel is kind of a a thing with a lot of the cash pay and that starts a big conversation is like you need to charge three hundred dollars and it and if you're under that you're not doing anything like but i'm from where i grew up was a fairly low income area and people with these lower incomes have a lot of health problems and that prices them out you know they can't pay a hundred dollars for a pt session and if they do have insurance, they can't even expense it because it's a federal payer. I can't even expense it to them because they don't allow it. Mm. But something like that, where it's like, hey, you know, we're getting something and we're doing this and, and we're just all involved in it and it's trying to treat more of the whole person. I actually um, really like your response and I respect it a lot because I think it gets lost very easily, especially with everything that we see on all social media platforms these days, where every, a lot of people are pushing, like, you can only do cash-based, and you can only be successful with a PT if you have your own clinic, and it's cash-based. Like, it, it's constantly inundating people's minds, and that's why I wanted to ask that question, because, you know, someone with your experience, I'm like, okay, well, looking back, what would you think to do? And it, it brought up a lot of good points, because realistically speaking, just like you said, not everyone, one, can afford $300 or so an hour, nor should they have to because, yes, I don't want to devalue our services, but is it really worth $300 an hour? Maybe, maybe to like the Olympic athlete, but like not necessarily to the John Smith of the world yeah. who's rehabbing a total yeah. knee replacement. You know, it, it definitely varies. And I think you have to know the population you're serving and, you know, understand where you're located and, you know, all the other different things. So I think it just brings a lot more considerations to light than I think people normally mention. 
Yeah, and where I feel like I am in my career now and everything I've done, all the training, I really see that physical therapy, you know, they don't need to be an hour-long session, you know, and they knock on us, you know, oh, you're just pulling these bands and just lift these little pink weights. I started at an out-of-network clinic after graduation, and it was a hard one hour per patient. And when I tell you, I felt like 35 to 45 minutes was like the sweet spot. And I was struggling to fill in that full hour, but because people were cash pay, I was like stressed. And I was like, okay, I have to do it because they're paying out of pocket for it. I think the beauty of it is you shouldn't have to put a time limit on it because you should Mm -hmm. be able to just give the patient, you know, okay, you're paying for your services, period, not necessarily a block of time. And how can we help you in an appropriate amount of time? If that makes sense. Yeah. And that's what with the MDT, mm-hmm. some of my follows are 15 minutes and that's it. Go to a, down to a whole <laughs> rabbit hole and people get mad. But if you come in and, and you're an athlete you know, or somebody just a weekend warrior and within 15 minutes, your pain is significantly better. That's what I want you to do. Do we need to sit here and do a bunch of deadlifts and squats and all that? And they're like, no, I'm like, no, this person won. That problem is not stable. We can't do that yet. They need to keep doing this reductive activity for a little bit longer. So maybe in three or four days. Now let's start having you test and we start doing these things. And it gets into like, oh, wow, I'm feeling really good. I'm doing this and I'm just educating. And like, that's actually, I have my own little side business that I just take cash. And one thing I do with that is that I feel like I do so much more than what they pay for. So our first visit, maybe, like you said, 35, 45 minutes. That's it. We figured out. But I'm calling them. I'm texting them. I'm sending them videos. I'm spending all this extra time because I said, I feel I really have to help you. And they feel like this is what I really need. And I don't even have to see them face to face very, very much. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is instructive. I want you to go back and do X. I want you to go back and do Y. Let me know how it feels. Do this, do that. And Mike, this is really how therapy should be. If we spent 30 minutes with somebody that paid you $50, and it's like, would that be enough? Would that satisfy enough? But it depends. <laughs> yeah, it depends. So, I mean, granted, like, you know, if something's more involved, yeah, we got to do a lot more. If something's simple, yeah, I don't care. We're going to do that. I, you know, that's yeah. what I feel like I'm here to do is just to do this little bit. Again, insurance, well, we got to do all this so we can maximize that, you know, insurance money. What a weird dance. It, it's a game. Yeah, it's a dance. That's a good point. Any final thoughts or tips that you'd have for anyone, students or not students, that are navigating this lovely space? And to get into management? <laughs> management, um, insurance, whatever. Insurance. One thing is pick up audiobooks, go to secondhand stores, pick up books on marketing, management, anything like that, and just read it. And I have picked up so many little bitty things over the years from books from you know zig ziglar is one from for selling he's got little tips and tricks there's some newer people out there who have pretty interesting books on like how to build websites and things like that and gathering that information there's books on communication so just just getting that so being able to, to learn those things if you can find a really good mentor i know with the mediums now with social media you've got all these people that say oh, i'm a business coach and all that stuff I kind of have an issue if you're going to come out and say, oh, I'm a business coach and you've been out of school two years. <clears throat> Granted, there's a difference if you're coming out of PT school and you're 45 years old and you did other stuff beforehand. But if you are coming out of PT school and you're like 27 
and trying to say you run a business, have you seen an economic downturn? Have you opened it in many different locations? What populations have you with? And that's what I have found some, again, older people who have done that, who've run their own, who've run clinics for big companies, little companies, different types of healthcare, and just said, can I just spend some time with you? Can I ask you questions? Now, granted, don't pull the thing of, let me pick your brain because they'll delete you. Um, you may have to compensate or do something. Contribute to the conversation yes. always. That's the thing. And that I talk to people all the time. It gets really involved. It's like you're taking away, you know, compensate somehow. But to learn, um, like my old boss, there was little tips and tricks and things like that. Like one trick he told me about increasing referrals, he put a candy jar in a doctor's office. He goes, I'd put a candy jar up front and I would come in every few days and fill it. He said, the front desk ladies hated me because they're like, we're getting fat. He said, so I took it away. He said, the doctor called me and goes, the candy jar go. <laughs> He's like, well, they, they were getting mad. He's like, I don't care. I liked it. But that's what got him referrals. That's what got him back talking with that. I mean, again, the physician called him because he had a relationship because of some candy in a candy jar. And it's these little things like this that you can learn from people that can pay off. And, and again, granted, if they've worked for different companies, they can tell you, okay, you may want to jump ship from here. This is when you want to stay. This is what you want to do. You can get these little things from people everywhere. So it's always just trying to grow, testing, test stuff on it. That's a big thing. Test out. Like if you're doing that, no, let me try it out and give a significant amount of time to test it. Same thing with what we, like what we do with patients. We want to test this motion for a few days, you know, test in the marketing way or communication way for a few days, a few weeks and see how it responds. So just kind of just getting in and having fun with it. That's kind of the thing. If it doesn't work, it's okay. We'll just move on. <laughs> I love it. Where can people find you if they have any questions or want to chat with you? Oh, okay. So I am on Instagram. This is the goofiest one. Matt underscore PT underscore dip underscore MDT. My Instagram handle. I'm always open. My DMs are on there. You can contact me through my website, mattthept.com at matt.d.pt.contact at gmail.com. And I, on Twitter, I'm not as active on there. I think it's mattthept as well on there so i got different names and all that but i'm on there i'm always happy to talk to people about stuff people don't understand that i did all the management stuff for years um, i actually have a book i'm working on i'm probably about halfway through editing it that kind of talks about many of these things and i have another one out for um wages and compensation which for people to look at at stuff as well if you'd like a copy i'll send you a copy but just you can find me on the social media like i said i'm always open to talk with people nice awesome Thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure to chat with you as usual. Um, and if you guys have any questions, you know where to find him. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com. 